Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the You're humble? Of course I am. Since when? Just ask me, I'll tell you. <laughs> You'll tell me all about how humble you are. Okay. Big, big news. We're so excited because we'll actually be visible next week. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, it is exciting. I'm a little nervous about it, but uh, You're I'm very nervous. excited. Huh. What? You're nervous. <laughs> Don't worry, Ron. We'll, we'll make you look good. I always look good. I don't know how, but we'll do it. <laughs> we are. We're going to be uh, doing our live television broadcast, first ever Ghost Chronicles Next Generation Yay! live television broadcast. It is really exciting. It's it's groundbreaking, really. And you, and you can uh, you can actually see it. You can see it uh, on our TojiNet page because we now have the link up on that. Not the link, but the actual player. So, really? Yep, so you can actually see us right on Tojinet and chat Ooh. with us. We'll wow. figure out that chat link, too, you know, how to do that. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know that we were going to be streaming on Toginet too. Yep, yep. That's very cool. Oh, yeah. Hey, we're going to be live streaming paid. all over the place. That's why I get paid the big bucks. Jeez, oh, I'm glad somebody does. So that's that's really, really exciting, and, and that's we'll have more on that, uh, I guess. Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, actually, uh, John was asking about it in the chat room. And I mean, so we'll be live streaming on TogiNet. We'll be live streaming on ebctv.org. ORG. We'll be over the broadcast air in the wonderful town of East, whatever it is. East, East Bridgewater, yeah. If you're an East Bridgewater resident, you'll be able to see that on your very own TV. Put your feet up and have a glass of wine and. Yep. But uh, you can do that in front of your computer, too. But it is really, uh, really great. We're, we're exciting. We were actually working on the set today. Really? Yes. Yep. Oh, Setting up all our new lights. Yep. Because this is exciting for me because I've never even seen the set. So this should even be cool. There you go. <laughs> and just, I mean, so everybody knows, I mean, I work in a public access television studio, East Bridgewater Community Television. And... We have been uh, blessed um, with a brand new facility in our brand new state-of-the-art high school. Uh, it's a junior-senior high school, which they just built. We just moved in in August. Um, so we're very excited. This will be our first live broadcast from the studio. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. You, Ghost Chronicles, is going to have the honor. And by the way... Our first guest will be on the show will be none other than from the UK, Steve Parsons and Cal Cooper. Uh, just to double the excitement. There you go. So, All right. And the pressure. 
No pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> Oh, boy. All exciting news, but we have uh, some guests on the line with us now, I believe. And, yes, we do. Uh, More uh, exciting. They're from things. your kind of neck of the wood, which is farther south than my neck of the wood. So yes. why don't you introduce me? <laughs> uh, tonight, we would like to welcome two guys who have been working very diligently for a couple of years at least, probably more, on a documentary called The Bridgewater Triangle, the documentary. And I'd like to introduce Manny Famolare and Aaron Kaju. Hi, guys. Hey, thanks for having us on. Oh, it's great that you could be here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, Actually, I have to ask the, the yep. big the big question, the really the tough question. Did Ann end up on the cutting room floor? <laughs> No, Anne is Anne is definitely in the film. She's oh my god! Oh my god! I'll never be able in the uh, in the East Bridgewater section of the film. Yes, yes, she made it into the film. Woo! I was nervous about that. I'm like, oh, they're just gonna cut my part out. As well, never. It's nope. just a little cameo, and I'm I'm very appreciative that you guys gave me is the honor. You were wearing a little cameo. Is that what you're saying? I was wearing a little cameo. I don't know. That's the only way I figured you could have got on there. Right, Ron. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. See what I would deal with every week, guys? Yeah. yeah. Great. So, anyways, tell us about this exciting film that you guys have produced in two years in the making. And Probably more, isn't it? Whatever. Yeah, it's been more. Yeah. yeah. So, go to it, boys. Uh, Andy, you want to start? Like- yeah, yeah. Um, I had an interest in the odd and unexplained as a kid growing up in East Bridgewater, uh, watching all the mysteries. Um, I started using my parents' VHS camera when I was uh, skateboarding a lot. And I had said to a friend, you know, I want to learn more about this because we had heard from a family friend that there was uh, some weird things going on in East Bridgewater, such as... Uh, birds disappearing and and people disappearing. So I said, I, this is something that, that might bring an interest to me. So I remember going to the library, and I remember finding out about this guy, Joseph DeAndre, who claims he allegedly he had seen Bigfoot. And I said, wow, Bigfoot, uh, Thunderbirds, UFOs, this is, uh, this is right in my own backyard. <laughs> so I remember saying to a friend, uh, one, I want to make a movie on this one day, but I was only a kid. So I never really did. And then uh, probably about four years ago, I'd say, I started working on something, and I knew that I didn't have the right equipment, but I knew that I had the knowledge, and I was going to just try to, you know, make something good. Um, And then I had found out that Aaron was also redoing another one on a more professional level, uh, with more equipment, and I said, well, I can either give up this dream or I can work with him. So we ended up uh, connecting, and we ended up working together, and then we became friends and then good friends, and uh, the rest is history. We ended up uh, combining our knowledge and our expertise, and uh, we finally got this thing done, and it's going to be well worth it. <laughs> wow. That's, th- that's, a long, that's a long time to want to yeah. make, you know, to have that in your head, 
to it be is. able to it finally is. bring it to fruition. I mean, that's exciting. It is. That is. And now, Aaron, what what sparked your interest? Um, well, I've always been a big fan of Halloween. It's my favorite day on the calendar. And <laughs> uh, back back in uh, I went to Fitchburg State College from 2001 to 2005. And <laughs> there was a, a a night up at Fitchburg that I was researching different topics for a possible documentary, and I was reading about Spidergate Cemetery up in Worcester. Ah. And suddenly, I somehow stumbled across Chris Pittman's website on the Bridgewater Triangle. Now, I was aware of more of the strange happenings in the Freetown State Forest because I grew up in Dartmouth about eight miles down the road from, from the State Forest main entrance. So I had heard about the strange activity there. But then I found this article in the Bridgewater Triangle that tied in the Freetown State Forest to a larger concept of this 200-square-mile region in southeastern Mass with this long history of strange activity. Mm-hmm. So I started to dig a little deeper, and I read about the Hockamock Swamp. I read about Anwan Rock. I read about the Freetown State Forest, Dighton Rock, uh, all all the whole the, – ran the whole gamut. Mm-hmm. And I decided, well, this is a pretty cool topic to do a documentary on. There's a lot of different elements, and it's accessible. It's local. Mm-hmm. And so I figured I would try to do something. So I did a 33-minute documentary back in 2003 called Inside the Bridgewater Triangle. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I never really – uh, expected it to be anything more than just a practice film, essentially. <clears throat> but what happened was I finished the film, showed it to a few people, handed out a couple of copies to friends, then all of a sudden they would show it to somebody, and then somebody else would want a copy. And before you knew it, I was getting phone calls on a weekly basis from people saying, how can I get a copy of this film? Wow. And I, I, yeah, I couldn't really sell it because, you know, I didn't have clearance for the music and I used copyrighted images and whatnot. I didn't really understand, you know, the ins and outs of communications law and all that stuff at that point. So I had to say, look, I I might be able to give you a copy, but I can't sell a copy. And even giving out a copy probably was illegal at the time. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, I had it in the back of my head. If I'm ever, you know, running my own shop and I really want to do a feature-length documentary, the Bridgewater Triangle would be a great topic to revisit once I've honed my skills as a filmmaker and I have the resources to do a more in-depth piece. Mm-hmm. So about 2010, I started you know, uh, putting some feelers out there if people would be interested. And I was researching to see if anybody else was working on a documentary at the time because it is a popular subject, and I stumbled across Manny, and we got in touch with each other, like he said, and then, and then we started working together. That's great. Okay. You know, it's it's great to be able to reach out and find somebody, you know, who's like-minded and you can collaborate with. And, I mean, you know, I think about how much work it had, would be, you know, just doing it alone. <laughs> So. Well, yeah, and I and I've, I have to uh, say it's been – we've had a really good working relationship because we each are bringing something to the table uh, that the film wouldn't succeed without us. Mm-hmm. You know, Manny had done a lot of research on the Bridgewater Triangle, more, a lot more than I had done uh, prior. Uh, my, my other film barely scratched the surface of the Bridgewater Triangle. When Manny came along, he had scans of newspaper articles in the hundreds that he had wow. found uh, sitting in the microfilm room at libraries, and, and then Manny came into the picture, and he had all of that research done, and I kind of had an idea of how I wanted the film to, to to flow. So, you know, Randy brought the research. He had the connections to people that I didn't know otherwise, and then I kind of wrote the script based on a lot of the uh, things that I had already researched, but and then brought in a lot of the things that Manny 
had research, and then I had the production company end of things, so I had the tools to actually put the film together. But then Manny, like I said, had the connections in the in the in the Bridgewater area, mm-hmm. so it just wherever one of us needed help, the other one was able to help. Uh, in that regard, so uh, that's awesome. I mean, most people don't realize what it takes to to do this. I mean, uh, and of course, because she runs the studio and. And myself, I, I ran a studio before as well. It's it's just a vast undertaking, and there's so much that you have to do over and over to get it right. And you know, I I really appreciate. Uh, how long is this uh, film? This is a 90-minute uh, feature-length documentary. Yeah, which that's, that's, essentially, that's it's essentially a two-man two-man uh, crew. I mean, we we had. Uh, <laughs> Manny's friend Johnny helping us out on shoots as a production assistant, but the, uh, you know, the writing, the directing, the editing, the shooting, uh, has really been a two-man thing. Wow, a two-man crew. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It, it, you would think, when you see the film, you would you would never be able to guess that two people did this. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had known what we actually went through to get this film done, everything from coordinating shoots with people, working around their schedule, working around our schedule, and even hiking through the, the swamps and the forest, almost in impassable areas to find certain things. And, you know, there was a time where I remember we were trying to find uh, the underground bunker in the Freetown State Forest, and we were, my friends and I were out there for about six hours, and we mm-hmm. didn't find it took two or three tries, and we finally, we finally came across it. And it was just things like that, that um, you know, making decisions on what content to use, what content not to use, what content to use, and how it will affect people, and what content not to use, and how it will affect people. And just going through the scans of newspapers and saying, well, do we want to include this area? If we include this area, what kind of witnesses do we have? What kind of history does this place have? Is there anywhere else in the, the area that has a history like this? Is you know, it was just there's, there's a lot. It could be a documentary in itself. While you were going through the Freetown Forest, you didn't find my penland by any chance. I kind of lost. I thought I saw something. But <laughs> I'm curious. Uh, we actually did a uh, an investigation in the in the free. In fact, uh, Chris Belzano, he did in his book um, "Picture Yourself Ghost Hunting," uh, famous and my lovable little friends, the Puckwedgies. <laughs> we love the Puckwedgies, don't we? <laughs> that is that is a that is a clip that we actually. Are you talking about the the clip uh, of Maureen? Yeah, that is a clip that we actually featured. So. Oh, you do. Know. Yeah. Wow. We actually, yeah, we we reached out to Chris, and he was gracious enough to give us permission to use the clip uh, in the film. And uh, yeah, so and then uh, I guess then you, both you and Anna are in the documentary. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh. there you go, Ron. All right, Unfortun- now you'll be famous like me. Uh, unfortunately, Chris never did get the proper uh, releases <coughs> on that uh, thing, just to give you an idea. So don't worry about it. <laughs> But anyway, anyways, the Paco Jesus is one of my favorite subjects, and uh, uh, so you did use that piece. I mean, did you go into the history? I mean, how how did you? Ha- I mean, I have not seen the film, obviously. Um, how did you handle that subject in itself? And and each 
one of these little subjects? Do you, do you look at them in, as little units, or do you look at them as a, a bigger picture? Yeah, uh, the way the film uh, runs is it's kind of broken up into into various regions and then subjects within those regions. So we kind of, it's not really chronological. It's more so, um, it's chronological in the sense that we the, one of the first major things that we talk about in the film is the history of King Philip's War, which is a which is an event that a lot of paranormal researchers uh, attribute as the spark which started uh, the negative energy of the Bridgewater Triangle, and then from there we kind of jump around the triangle from region to region, starting with the Hockamock Swamp, uh, largely, largely due to the fact that uh, it has a lot of cryptozoological uh, aspects to it in terms of Bigfoot sightings, and because Lauren Coleman, who coined the term the Bridgewater Triangle, was a cryptozoologist, and so that was his starting point, so that's where we started on the film. But and then, like I said, we jump around from region to region, uh, and it's broken up basically, uh, you know, the, the, the Hockamock Swamp section and then this cryptozoology tied in with that, and then it gets into uh, UFOs, and then it gets into Native American legends, and then it gets into uh, Freetown State Forest uh, things, and that's where the Puckwudgie section of the film is. Uh, it, it's featured in the, the Freetown State Forest section. And in terms of tying it all together, the film ends with uh, basically all of the major contributors in the film giving their thoughts on how the, the, the concept of the Bridgewater Triangle all ties together and how the different uh, events within the triangle all tie together. Mm, wow. Now, I, we have a question in our chat room. Uh, Don wants to know what Pukwudgies are. Hey, why don't you stick that one? <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody wants to know what those are. The <laughs> <laughs> easiest way to explain them is uh, when without laughing they're they're between two and three feet height in height and they're a little almost like a shrunken native american that is said to roam the the forest uh, in freetown that magic forest uh the native americans believed in them and uh they almost look like a little troll and they're said to uh disappear on uh on in several uh people have said that they uh they appear at the top of the Asonet Ledge, mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll lead you uh, right off the ledge. I know that ledge has had a lot of uh, reported suicides. I have a friend that's a Freetown firefighter, and he says that that is true. Uh, they obviously can't ask him why they committed suicide. It's no longer here, but mm-hmm. <laughs> right. but uh, they're um, Boring, but... they're no, said to um, even push you off the uh, the ledge. Uh, we don't have. Anyone that actually saw one, except for one uh, gentleman uh, by the name of William Russo. We don't want to give too much away on his clip, but he had almost, um, from what he describes uh, in his encounter uh, over 20 years ago, uh, it was actually in Rainham, and we have a, uh, we had an artist actually uh, illustrate right to the tooth almost what what he saw. And it's uh, it looks uh, it sounds like uh, it's a puck wedgie what he saw, but we don't want to uh, we don't want to give too much away. But uh, it's okay. it's one of those scenes in the film that people are actually going to leave the the theater and they're going to be saying that um, that's a very believable story and uh, it was uh, it was a good it was a good scene. Wow. And they're, they're and they're essentially they're evil spirits. You know, yeah, they're that's, what, malicious. that's what people say. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, they didn't start out that way is what I understand. They were just mischievous. Yeah, we've come to understand that is correct. They started out as more of a mischievous troublemaker and evolved into being seen as pure evil Mm -hmm. and uh, murderous at times. Uh Wow. So my next big question would be, you know, Bridgewater Triangle, why not the Bridgewater Square or the Bridgewater Pentagram or the Bridgewater Circle? <laughs> yeah. Well, I... Yeah. Go ahead, Manny, if you want to take that one. No, no, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was just... Um, go ahead. Well, I mean, this... this Lauren Coleman is the gentleman who came up with the terminology, and it was back in the late 70s and early 80s where he moved from California to Massachusetts, and he was living up in the Boston area. And he immediately started investigating strange occurrences in Massachusetts because that's what he did for a living. And he got a series of reports out of southeastern Massachusetts especially. It seemed to be a hot spot for strange occurrences and unexplained phenomena. And so as he got these reports, he started plotting the points on a map. And he came up with this concept of the Bridgewater Triangle. Now, obviously, the Bermuda Triangle was a very, very popular subject at the time. So I think he kind of was thinking upon those lines in terms of uh, coming up with a concept that was already familiar to people and something that would have a nice ring to it. Now, today, you have a lot of different paranormal researchers that discuss the boundaries of the Bridgewater Triangle, which is a very popular topic, on, and whether or not there, you know, that, that triangle is, is like a stiff border that cannot be you know, disputed, whereas a lot of paranormal researchers say that it's more or less just a guide for an area that has an, a reported elevated level of paranormal and uh, activity and odd occurrences. So that's kind of how, I mean, I, I, I'm very skeptical. Um, out of the two of us, I'm more of a skeptic than Manny is, I think. Mm-hmm. So as a skeptic, um, if there is paranormal activity out there, it's kind of hard to believe that it would adhere to a man-made boundary. Right. So there are a lot of towns that are inside the Bridgewater Triangle that have no real history of strange occurrences of paranormal activity. But then there are towns like uh, cities like Fall River, which are just outside the, the borders of the Bridgewater Triangle. They have a long history of paranormal activity. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the, the boundaries of the Bridgewater Triangle, that's another topic that we cover in the film, and uh, we get some pretty uh, unique perspectives on it. Oh, right. very cool. Hmm. Now, yeah. is there any within that triangle, I mean, would you say that there's any one place that's more active than another? Like, is there a real, you know, like, place you can pinpoint? Well, Center of the triangle is something? Is that what you're saying? Yes. I like, what would be the most active piece of that triangle? There's a consistency with stories that come from the Freetown State Forest and the Hockamock Swamp. Mm-hmm. Those okay. two places that seem to be uh, consistent with a lot of stories. When you when you talk to somebody around, especially around the Bridgewaters, um, right. I've said before that the the best stories come from people that have never heard of the Bridgewater Triangle. These right. are people that, if you ask them, have you ever heard of anything weird around here? And they say, oh, yeah, you know, I've heard of, uh, you know, uh, this creature that lives in the Harkamuk Swamp, and I remember seeing uh, this large footprint or something in the mud years ago. And you say, well, have you ever heard of the Huckamuck, uh, the Bridgewater Triangle? And they say, no, what's that? Mm-hmm. Those are the stories that I think are the most believable ones. And 
William Russo, the man we were talking about, he had actually never heard of the Bridgewater Triangle when he had his encounter more than 20 years ago as well. So I think that those two areas, what do you, what do you think, Aaron? I think those two. Yeah, and uh, and each region seems to have a specialty. Uh, I would say that the Hockamock Swamp... <laughs> yeah, and the that Freetown was my next State question, Forest, yeah. Yeah. I would say that the Hockamock Swamp and the Freetown State Forest are the two most famous locations. The Hockamock Swamp seems to be most famous from a cryptozoological standpoint. The Freetown State Forest seems to be the most famous from a true crime uh, mm. standpoint. Yeah. Uh, the area seems to be a magnet for a sinister and criminal activity. Right. And that's another topic that we cover in the film and why that is and how it relates to the Bridgewater Triangle because, you know, criminal activity is not inherently paranormal. But mm. the Freetown State Forest seems to draw a disproportionate amount of criminal activity. And some researchers attribute the negative energy within the forest as the reason for that uh, that criminal element. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of ghost sightings, it seemed most of the reports that we were getting from were from either Rehoboth or East Bridgewater. Uh, right. Those wow. two towns are seen as the as the ghost towns of the Bridgewater Triangle, mm-hmm. and then you have sporadic locations intermixed amongst those uh, those those three uh, those four major hubs for you know. Uh, other activities like the, the Dighton Rock area and Abington uh, with the killer dog episode that happened up there. But the main hubs, I would say, are Hockmark Swamp, East Bridgewater, Freetown, and Rehoboth. There you go. Now, can you see why the name of my group makes sense, right? East Bridgewater's yeah. Most Haunted? Aha! Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and the one thing about East Bridgewater is every, if we were to include every single ghost story, every single graveyard that's haunted, every Bigfoot sighting, Thunderbird sighting, uh, weird animal sighting, uh, and so on, UFO, anything strange that people tell us they see in the sky, this this film would be like a 60-disc set, and not only that, but by the time that we finish it, there'd be all new stories. Right. So, you know, there, there's so much, and East Bridgewater is full of history. I know that there are a lot of places in town that have a lot of history to them. Um, and we do feature one house in the film that does have a lot of history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. we're going to have to talk about that when we get back because it's now time for us to take a break. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann Carrigan and Ron Kolig right here on Tojanet Parax Ghost Channel and Beyond, soon to be on your TV set or whatever. We'll be right back after the following messages Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Here we go, here we go. 
and welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Anne and our special guest, the Bridgewater Triangle documentary guys, Aaron Kaju and Manny Familari. There what you heck? go. Welcome back, guys. Mm. So, um, what are we? What are you guys doing with this film, and, and where can we see it? All that cool stuff. Uh, October twentieth, we're gonna uh, we're gonna premiere it at UMass Dartmouth, and uh, tickets tickets can be sold on our website, and they're ten dollars, and that includes uh, a meet and greet with uh, cast members of the film, uh, as well as Lauren Coleman and ourselves, a question and answers with ourselves, and the event runs from one to five, and on the website, if you cannot make the event and you also live out of the country. We have a live pay-per-view streaming option, which is eight dollars. That's cool. Do you get popcorn? And that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else you want to add? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll ship it to you. <laughs> yeah. You get virtual popcorn. Virtual popcorn. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So, what's the date on that again? Uh, that's October twentieth. Wow, that sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's coming quick. I'm gonna be there. I got my tickets. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. No problem. Looking forward yep. to it. Well, we look forward to having you. <laughs> now, be, I wanted to ask. Could it be a cameo again? Yeah. Yes, Ron. I will. <laughs> Very good, too. I wanted to ask, what, um, did you guys, I mean, it, it's a long time, you know, you've been working this, you know, three, three, almost four years. Were there any obstacles um, that, you know, I mean, I'm sure everybody, everybody, uh, Every everybody has obstacles when they're doing any kind of thing like that. But you know, did you have obstacles that you just thought, "Oh my God, we're never going to finish this"? <laughs> I got one for you. Okay. <laughs> um, this has been funded completely out of our pockets. We have mm-hmm. not taken funding from anybody for this production. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore, budget, of course, was a concern, just like it is with every independent film. Right. And. Up until a few months ago, we were feeling pretty good about ourselves budget-wise. Um, we were able to produce a feature-length documentary for what could be seen as peanuts. Mm-hmm. We got to the point where we were starting to try to get clearance for a lot of the newspaper articles that we wanted to feature in the film. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, the local papers, like the New Bedford Standard Times, Follower of a Herald, Brockton Enterprise, said, no problem, use whatever you want, all we ask for is a credit in the film. And we said, thank you very much. That's, that's very nice of you. <laughs> for the bigger newspapers, which will remain un, unnamed, but uh, just, you know, it's the biggest newspaper in Boston, mm-hmm. uh, came mm. back at us and said, well, we charge a licensing fee for our newspaper articles. And at the time, we had about 11 articles we wanted to feature from that paper. Uh-huh. Uh, and then there's another large newspaper up in Boston that's the biggest competitor to the other newspaper, and they also wanted a licensing fee for their articles. Now, uh-huh. I understand that that, you know, is the way things work, but when you're talking, you know, $250 for an article that we want to feature for two seconds on the screen, uh-huh. it's a little unreasonable. Wow. Uh, especially with these articles that are in the archives going back to the 1970s or, or later uh-huh. or earlier. Um so one of the things that Manny and I did, or what Manny actually, actually I should give Manny all the credit in the world for this, is he went into the microfilm room at a local library, and we, I gave him the dates that were featured in those Boston newspapers, and he found articles that were covered in the Brockton Enterprise that covered the same subject. 
Nice. And so we said, okay, we'll use the Enterprise article instead of the article from one of those two big boys up in Boston. Now, there are a couple articles from those newspapers that we have no choice but to use, but the cost is significantly less than if we had used the original number that we uh, had wanted to. Wow. Uh, that's 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 unbelievable. I mean, I, 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 I guess I didn't know that you had to get clearance for things like that. I mean, isn't that oh, free? Yeah. There uh, are. There's a thing yeah. called fair use law. Fair use, yeah. Fair use is the thing with fair use. It's very gray. It's a very much a gray area, and it's mm. difficult to define. So what sure. happens with fair use is the newspaper will come after you, and then you end up having to hire a lawyer and go to court over it. So the costs associated with hiring a lawyer, you might as well have just forked out the money that they wanted in the first place for these articles. Right. Now, what a lot of newspapers will not tell you, and this is advice to anybody out there that's working on something like this, if an article dates back prior to January 1st of 1923, it is automatically in the public domain. Okay. And mm-hmm. also, that also goes for any artifacts that are in a museum that were created before 1923. So if you have that newspaper article in hand, it's yours to use for whatever you want. You can modify it. You can do whatever you want with it, and you don't have to answer to anybody. Now, that also goes for a museum. Say a museum has a collection of images that you want to feature in a film. Those images were created before 1923. Mm -hmm. The museum has every right in the world to charge you access to those images. But once you have them in your possession, they have no say in how you use them whatsoever, and they cannot charge you additional fees on top of that for rights to those images. They like mm-hmm. to think that they can, but they can't because <laughs> those images are in the public domain. And also, if you're looking to use a newspaper article that was featured before 1978 or 9, I don't know off the top of my head exactly, and that newspaper failed to put a copyright notice on the front page of that paper in the masthead, Mm-hmm. then that newspaper article has also lapsed into public domain. Now, that law is different now. A newspaper doesn't have to use the copyright lo- logo with a date any longer. Mm-hmm. But prior to 1978, they were supposed to, and if they didn't, they missed their chance, and that's now in the public domain. So just kind of off topic, but it's a little uh, <laughs> little information lesson for people out there trying yeah. to do the same thing. That's good to know. As you, good as to you know. can see, we did As you can see, we did research there, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the whole thing. If you're going to do something like that, yeah. you a lot of research. I mean, uh, you know, it's not like something you, you put together for YouTube or something. This is, you know, you guys put a lot of work and a lot of effort into it. And, uh, right. and right. hopefully, I, I assume that you're trying to move it up to the next level in, in the uh, distribution field, too, as well, I think. Yeah, a lot of people are going to, I think a lot of people are going to be very surprised. People have no idea what they're about to see. I mean, I've been asked before stupid questions. I've been asked if when it's done, if it's going to be, if we're just going to throw it on YouTube. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah right. I, before I thought of something, I, I just gave a simple no. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, I, I've been asked some ridiculous questions before, but um, no, we're very pleased with it. And it's, you know, the people that are, that are featured um, on the movie poster, there, there's so many more people that are first-hand witnesses that we feature, such as yourself, and uh, we have uh, UFO uh, witnesses in there, and we have uh, even the scene that we did for the red-headed hitchhiker of Route 44 is actually... Oh, that's so funny, because I was going to ask you about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's got some interesting uh, characters in it. We actually were able, well, I was able to get a hold of uh, 
a kid by the name of Stephen Ramsey, and he is actually the team chef for the skateboard team World Industries, and he flies all over the world with them and cooks for them. And um, in the back seat, we actually just playing somebody who gets spooked out by the red-headed hitchhiker is uh, professional skateboarder Anthony Shetler, who's known all over the world. I mean, he's, fam- he's a famous skateboarder. So people would see that um, that don't know that. There's just a little a little kick in there that um, you know, it's, we even uh, were able to coordinate uh, scheduling uh, with them to get this done. And it came out uh, very good. We're very pleased with that scene. So That's great. Wow. Just, uh, just a little FYI for people, we did do uh, Jeff Belanger's uh, show 30-odd minutes last night, Yep. and mm-hmm. that uh, on that show, we did feature two exclusive scenes from the movie that have never been seen before outside of a paranormal uh, fair that happened in Fairhaven on Sunday. Uh-huh. So if anybody wants to see a scene from the Hockamock Swamp section of the film and a scene from the Freetown State Forest section of the film, just YouTube uh, 30 odd minutes, and in the, it's the most recent episode, and it features scenes from both of those sections of the documentary. Cool. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, fun. Well. There. Jeff Belanger got his plug, too. There you go. No. <laughs> so, yeah, Jefferson actually did the trailer, and I put the trailer up on our uh, Facebook page, which is what, Anne? Uh, we're on Facebook at Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. There you go. So, yes, I did see that up there, and uh, it looks great. I can't wait to see it. Now, did you guys, in the course of all this filming, and obviously you were in, you know, in the thick of it, so to speak. You know, you're stealing all my questions, Jan. You realize did, Well, it must just my psychic ability. It's really kicking in. Yeah, um, you're with me. Did you have anything happen, any personal experiences yourself? Um, go ahead, Aaron. You can tell them. Yeah, I guess, I, guess it's, I, I should tell this one because this actually happened before Manny and I started working together. When I was uh, planning to redo this documentary, Chris Balzano was giving a tour of the Freetown State Forest back in 2009 or 10, somewhere in that range. And I decided to tag along and videotape the whole tour. Mm-hmm. And what happened was, as after the tour was over, he was scheduled to go do a book signing in Dartmouth. And he accidentally locked his keys in his car in the middle of the Freetown State ah! Forest. So we oh, had to call no. AAA. Ah! Ah! So we had to call AAA. Now, we're out way out at... Off of uh, Copacut Road and uh, Bell Rock Road uh, near the Wampan- Wampanoag Reservation, there. So it took a long time for AAA to come to come get him. Uh, so we had like two hours to kill, <laughs> and I got to interview him, which wasn't in the plans because he had to go to this book signing. So I said, Chris, while we're sitting here, can I set up the camera? We'll mm. throw a makeshift light on you because at that point it was pitch blackout, and we shot this interview. And we were using a battery-operated camera light. Uh, on him as as the source of light, and at one point he was talking about the hauntings at Anawan Rock, mm-hmm. and he was talking about specifically about the wampum belt, which King Philip after right before he died he gave the wampum belt to his uh, war chief Anawan, who basically after Philip was killed carried the war on, and although at that point it was really winding down and the Wampanoags were all but beaten. And the colonial officials had commissioned Captain Benjamin Church and a group of what would be the first Army Rangers to comb southeastern Massachusetts looking for the last remaining Wampanoags. Mm-hmm. And the last surrender of King Philip's what happened to Anawan Rock, which happens to be a location of the Bridgewater Triangle with a lot of uh, ghostly legends attached to it. But to make a long story short, Anawan presented Captain Benjamin Church this wampum belt upon his surrender. 
and Chris Balzano was talking about how this wampum belt has disappeared from history. Nobody knows what happened to it. There's theories that it could be in a museum in England, and there's other people that say they just don't know where it is. And as he was talking about the wampum belt, he said something upon the lines of uh, the, a lot of people feel that the weirdness that occurs within the Bridgewater Triangle will continue until the wampum belt is returned to the Wampanoag people. And as he was talking about this, the lights went out. And when we got everything back up and running again, uh, Matt Menese was in the background, and you hear him say to Chris, Chris, do you realize that the lights went out when you were talking about the disappearance of the wampum belt? And Chris was, was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. That's crazy. And then jokingly, he turns to the side, and as if he's talking to a ghost, said, don't worry, we hear your message. If I could, I would return it. And as soon as the word return, the words return, it came out of his mouth, the lights shut off again. Wow. And it was, and, you know, and coming from a skeptic, it was one of the most eerie things that, it was really the only odd occurrence that, that I, I experienced while doing this documentary. Wow. Oh, that's a hair standing up on your arm moment, right? Absolutely, really? yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. What about anything? What about you, Manny? Any any experience? No, you know, I, I you know, I can't say anything though that that sticks out. I mean, no. it's just no, nothing that really sticks out. Well, you know, you can make something up. It's okay. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just found myself. <laughs> I found oh. myself um, on many, 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 many shoots uh, hiking through the Freetown State Forest in the Hockamock Swamp with flip-flops on. That was very strange. Oh, so. uh, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what yeah, yeah. possessed you to wear flip-flops? <laughs> <Why not? laughs> um, you can't even say it. <laughs> so anyways, I yeah, mean, you, guys, you guys have worked really, really hard on this, and, and you're, of course, you're going to, you know, I mean, you're, you're going to revel in it now and, and uh, hopefully uh, go on. But uh, do you have other plans for other things? I guess that's trying to what I'm really trying to get at. Well, well, oh, go ahead, Eric. Oh no, I, I didn't say anything. You can, you can start. Oh, oh, okay. Um, well, I, I, I've been into photography since I was a kid and video production, mostly photography. And I would like to um, be able to have the right equipment to be able to do the right job, such as wedding photography and, and big events. However, that uh, gear can become very expensive um, to, you know, to do the right job. Uh, so I would like to uh, get into, uh, you know, doing professional photography eventually. And, and who knows where it will go from there. I mean, if, if this film actually uh, is successful, um, I don't have any other plans to do any other documentary with the paranormal right now, but I would like really? to just kind of get situated. I mean, I, there's a few other ideas that I've had to do documentaries on, but um, right now that's not even in my head. <laughs> I would think so, that you guys would be ready to rest a little bit. Yeah, we want yeah. to. Uh, we want to get this done. We want to. Uh, <laughs> we want to get it done, and we want to uh, market it right, and we want to. Uh, you know, have a good turnout with the premiere in October. And uh, I think that, like I said, people are going to be very, very surprised when they see this film. I don't, uh, I don't believe there will be any disappointment. So, mm -hmm. Well, there could be, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, well, it sounds, it sounds like it's going to be awesome. And, you know, I, um, 
just looking at your cast, you know, I mean, some really familiar faces to me on there. Um, somebody that I wasn't really familiar with is Alan Alves. Uh, mm -hmm. And it says, uh, you know, on the, the list that he's known as the cult cop. Mm -hmm. what, oh, yeah. um, there. So he he's spent most of his life in this area? Alan Alves is a, a retired uh, detective with the Freetown Police Department. And back in 1978, they started getting uh, reports of strange findings in the Freetown State Forest and a lot of things that would be associated with um, satanic devil worship. And I just want to, before I go into any deeper into this, um, if you research Satanism as a, as a religion, uh, like the Church of Satan, for instance, which was found, founded in 1967 by Anton LaVey, that really, when you get right down to it, isn't a religion. Satan, Satanists in that respect are atheists, mm -hmm. and they view Satan not as an actual deity but as a symbol of the, oneself. So uh, the official satanic churches don't condone the kind of activity that was going on in the Freetown State Forest. I'd like to say that first. But that doesn't that's not that 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 doesn't mean that people don't become self stylized Satanists. Right. Or you know, someone might be an impressionable teenager who's dabbling in what they think Satanism is. So they were finding strange things in the Freetown State Forest. They were finding pentagrams with sacrificed animals in them, uh, like pigeons, and then eventually they were finding at one, in one instance they found like a dozen baby calves slaughtered. Uh, near the Dartmouth end of the Freetown State Forest. And Alan Alves was, happened to be the police officer who always was given the assignments to investigate these things. Mm -hmm. And over time, he became kind of an authority on the subject. And that's how he basically, was, that was what he was known as the cult cop because of all the dealings he had investigating that activity in, in, in Freetown. Oh. And for a, a gentleman who was a police detective on a little town of 9,000 people, Right. The guy has seen a lot of very strange things, and mm. we were very lucky to have him in the film. Mm. Yeah, he must have been a great resource. Uh, and I mean, you know, I mean, even in you know, in in my lifetime, I can think of two murders off the top of my head, and both those people were, you know, in the Freetown, found in the Freetown State Forest. And well, uh, I don't know if one of those that you're thinking of is the Mary Lou Arruda case. Yes. Yeah, and the funny, not funny, I shouldn't say funny, but the, the mm. strange coincidence is that, of course, Alan Alves was the first police officer on the scene mm -hmm. for that case. He was yeah. approached by two dirt bike riders who had found her remains tied to a tree in the Freetown State Forest. Wow. He was the first guy on the scene. And we do cover that case briefly in the film. We don't go too in-depth on it, but uh, it's just a strange coincidence that that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Cause so when you were... When you were putting this film together, what thing really stood out in your mind is really the strangest, the most bizarre thing about the Bridgewater Triangle? Manny, you want to go first? Yeah. You mean what was the what was the strangest thing we thought about putting it together? No, not putting it together. When you're doing your research, what was the, the thing that really – I mean, you're going, you're talking UFOs, you're talking this, you're red-headed hitchhiker, and – uh, this and that, and then you you come across something, and you say, "Wow, I mean that's even with all this weird stuff that's happening, this is really weird." Well, I mean, I think 
hearing about the stories and then researching them and finding out that there's a lot of truth behind them, mm-hmm. I think was weird for me, uh, especially the UFO sightings. There was a UFO sighting uh, March 23rd in 1979 by uh, two WHDH uh, reporters, Steve Sprazier and Jerry Lopes. And we actually were fortunate that they don't live around here no more. And most of the uh, interviews that you hear of them are done over the ra- uh, radio. Um, Aaron was fortunate enough to uh, get a hold of both of them. They got a hold of actually they got a hold of Aaron, and we featured their story in the film. And not only do we feature their story in the film, but I was actually able to dig up a Brockton Enterprise uh, newspaper, and on the front page, what they had described they had seen is illustrated on the front page of the newspaper and said that hundreds of uh, witnesses had seen it uh, over the course of a week. So I think hearing about their story um, and then seeing it in the newspaper really makes you think that, you know, some of these things um, not only are true, but they're kind of chilly, you know, they're kind of eerie, especially the, the satanic stuff that, uh, allegedly happened in the Freetown State Forest, uh, getting all the newspaper articles and hearing all the stories from the witnesses and everything. Um, and especially even to this day, I still have friends that go out there and they'll still tell me that they see uh, and hear weird things out there. So mm-hmm. it's kind of eerie. Mm-hmm. What about you, Aaron? Um, the the, the um, UFO encounter that Mandy described is probably... Um, uh, well, I guess for me it's between that story and Bill Russo's Bizarre Creature in, uh, sighting in Rainham. Just because yeah. when yeah. I shot his interview, uh, I happened to be by, by myself on that one. But I walked away from that one just dumbfounded. And that ta- it takes a lot to get me that way, especially since I'm such a skeptic. Mm-hmm. I walked away from that one saying, you know what, out of all the stuff that we've covered in this film, that is the one story why, where I really believe what this guy is saying mm. um, because he just came across as so genuine. And the fact that he sat on that story for 20 years before he finally wrote about it in his blog online wow. says a lot. You know what I mean? He he was afraid to come out and talk about it. He was afraid how it would affect his livelihood. Mm-hmm. He was afraid of what his friends and family would think. But now that he's retired, he figured, I got nothing to lose. I might as well tell my story, and he did. And we are very fortunate that he was willing to talk to us. Mm. And we actually were, because of our association with him, to make a very long story short, we were actually approached by the Discovery Channel. Ah. And they're going to be doing a special on Monsters in New England later in 2014. And they're going to feature his story as part of their Pukwudgie segment. Now, that's not to say that he definitely saw Pukwudgie, but... Mm they're going to feature in that section nonetheless. And actually, Bill Russo was kind enough to turn down the Discovery Channel because he said, well, I'm already working with two gentlemen on a Bridgewater Triangle documentary, and I don't want to go behind their back and talk to you guys. (laughs) So the Discovery Channel actually approached me and basically begged me to to ask William Russo to do their interview. (laughs) And so I said, you know, it's coming out after our film, so there's really not any kind of a conflict. And I said, and it will only drive more viewers to our film because I'm sure they're not going to cover it as in-depth as we did. Right. Uh, so, yeah, uh, he, it was just funny that he was uh, very protective of his story even to turn down the Discovery Channel. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I hate to say this, guys, but we just about run out of time. Oh, God, that flew. 
So uh, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Why don't you give out your website again for everyone and, and tell us about your event that's coming up. Go ahead, Aaron. The web, yeah, the website is the Bridgewater Triangle Documentary.com. It premieres on Sunday, October 20th at the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth in the main auditorium. The event runs from 1 to 5, but the film itself runs from 2 to 3.30. And the event also includes a meet-and-greet with the film's cast and a Q&A with the filmmakers and the film's cast after the film is done. And for those of you who don't live in the area but still want to see the premiere, you can get uh, pay-per-view online streaming uh, telecast of that doc- of that documentary. Uh, also through our website, just click on st- – there's two links, tickets and streaming tickets. So if you want regular tickets, click tickets. If you want streaming tickets, click that link, and you can get either or. Awesome. Nice. Well, we want to thank you, Gary, so much for coming on the show. We wish you the best of luck uh, with the uh, the movie, and uh, I'd love to host you guys up here uh, with the filming. Uh, so we have to talk about that as well. Oh, so, anyway, sure. yeah, we're we're looking to screen it anywhere that's willing to screen it. There you go. <laughs> so, thank you so much for yeah. coming on, uh, and uh, Anne. Oh, it was, it was great to have you guys on. I I just, you know, I'm so happy for you, and I wish you all the best. And I will see you soon at the premiere. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. You're yep. welcome. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Oh, that is great. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. So you did. You made the film. Oh, I made the film. I made wow. the film. <laughs> I'm gonna have to watch it now. Damn. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's. Uh, I know they've worked very very hard on it, and uh, I'm glad that they could get on to talk to us tonight. And uh, and I hope people will go out and see it. There you go. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's the uh, bell doorbell, which means the pizza from the dead is here, and it's right. time to uh, wrap it up. So, but I do want to mention. Uh, I have a big event coming up. Uh, the the Brits, of course, are here um, for just about a week. And that, uh, on Friday, we have the Monsters Ghost Mystery Cruise out of Portsmouth. Uh, tickets still available for that. On Sunday night, we have the Harry Price Ghost Hunt at the Old Man in Concord, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Everybody gets a copy of Harry Price's Blue Book, which is the ghost hunting guide that uh, he gave to us all his team. Uh, on Monday night is Dining with the Dead at the Windsor Haunted Windsor Restaurant. That's sold out, unfortunately. Uh, then Tuesday night at Circles of Wisdom in Andover, Mass., we have a special edition of my paranormal study group, and we're going to have ghost hunting versus parapsychology. What's the difference? And uh, looking at it from ghost hunting from a couple points of view. So mm-hmm. uh, Wednesday, we'll be doing the live broadcast right here on Toachinet. Live, and, live, live. Uh, and everywhere of visual, not just a, a audio broadcast, you can actually see Ann and I, which could be really dangerous. Uh, <laughs> Maybe for at you. The, at the same time, and yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. Uh, at the sa- same time, and uh, you can still listen to us on the uh, the internet as well. But uh, you can't we, bear to look at us. <laughs> yeah, you can, can watch us too. And then, uh, of course, Friday night is the beginning of uh, Spirit Quest. And uh, there are still tickets for a whole bunch of events there. You could They start as low as $29. So uh, we have the Cal Cooper from the U.K., Par- um, Steve Pass and Jane Doherty, uh, Thomas D'Agostino, uh, Jenny Dye, Kelly Spangler, Salem Witch Kelly Spangler, 
awesome. I'm going to be there to say hi. Yoo-hoo! The best I can Yoo-hoo. do. <laughs> All right. So, time to wrap it up. Yes, so, it is. Uh, myself and uh, what's her name? Uh, <laughs> Yourself uh, and what's his name? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. And. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, I hope that next you'll week. all tune watch in next week. Watch, watch, watch. What? Watch, watch, watch next week. Yes, watch, watch, watch. Yep, because I've always wanted to pick my nose and pick it up. No, gro- stop it. You're <laughs> awful. You're awful. Close up, close up the whip hands now, too. Yeah, please do. Damn. All right, so good night. God bless, everyone. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. From ghoulies to ghosties. Long-leggedy beasties and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.